Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. Chapter 9 Beyond England, Origins and Evolution of the Community Land Trust Movement in Europe Written by Gert de and Joaquin de Santos Read by Michael Lafond this chapter traces the context in which the European Community Land Trust, CLT, movement was born and evolved from both a broader European perspective and within individual countries. The scope of this chapter is to look at developments outside of England, mostly on the mainland of Europe, but recent developments in Scotland and Ireland are included as well. We take stock of the current state of the movement, highlighting similarities and differences in the ways that CLTs are structured and applied in different countries, and look ahead to the future prospects for CLT development. We also trace important connections that are being forged between CLTs in Europe and CLTs in England through a cross-national project known as Sustainable Housing for Inclusive and Cohesive Cities. We'll first look at the broader context of housing production in Europe. As in other geographies, the production of housing in Western Europe has undergone significant changes over the last 40 years. In the post-Second World War period, public authorities took the initiative in developing large numbers of housing units to accommodate those affected by the war, but also to tackle the remaining pockets of inadequate housing in cities. This often led to massive housing developments that were often built at great speed and with lower quality materials in formerly rural areas at the periphery of major cities. In parallel, the evolution of the global economy towards more office-based jobs has created the impetus to build large office buildings in central areas, sometimes at the expense of historical neighborhoods, or in areas with good transport links, restructuring urban space to give way to the automobile. The lucrative market in office estate has resulted in collusion between real estate developers and local politicians in many cities. Another major development of this post-war period has been the increased earnings by a large portion of the working population as a result of the economic boom. Lower middle class households could now afford to buy residential property, which was being delivered on a massive scale by real estate developers. Public policies were introduced to subsidize home ownership. As a result, these populations increasingly deserted public housing. This post-war paradigm, often dubbed Fordist, 
in relation to the logic of increasing the purchasing power of workers to enable them to acquire Ford automobiles has given way since the 1980s to a model where the market takes on a more important role in the provision of housing. The shift has been accompanied in many cases by a virtual stagnation of the production of public housing. With the notable exception of France, the Netherlands, some Scandinavian countries, along with a few major cities such as Vienna. The evolution of the global economy during this period has created significant imbalances with an increasing concentration of economic development in larger cities and, at times, an abrupt economic decline of former industrial areas that once had substantial manufacturing capacities. This has fostered greater competition between cities to capture capital flows that are increasingly global and volatile, caused in port by the deregulation of financial markets since the 1980s. One outcome is that housing in many European cities has become increasingly expensive and commodified. These trends were accelerated by the global financial crisis started in 2008. While housing markets in many European countries slumped as a result of the drought of real estate financing, the massive public injections of capital into failing banks quickly became a financial force of their own. Investors began looking for returns in markets that had been less financialized and profitable in the past, but were now looking like good investment opportunities. The housing market was the most important of those untapped markets, offering attractive returns that could sometimes reach double digits. As a consequence, massive amounts of capital were injected into housing, driving up prices not only in the most desirable locations, but also in neighborhoods across entire urban areas. In a number of areas, long-term residents were starting to get priced out of the neighborhoods. Households had to dedicate an ever greater share of their incomes for housing in many European countries, with even more acute situations arising in many major European cities. In other urban neighborhoods, economic decline and a lack of investment caused an accelerated degradation of the housing stock. With governments in many countries struggling to provide effective policy responses to these mounting problems, CLTs were envisaged and implemented as a possible solution to the affordable housing crisis. Local communities in England had begun adopting in the early 2000s a version of the CLT model that had been pioneered in the United States adapting it to their own circumstances. In Brussels, local nonprofits created the first continental European CLT in 2012. Municipal governments started considering the CLT model as a suitable policy response in countries such as France in 2014. Interest in the model has now spread to several other European countries. Emergence of a CLT movement in mainland Europe.
In 2009, a group of community organizers and activists for the right to housing in Brussels started looking for a community-led strategy for producing permanently affordable housing. They first started the cooperative model. Cooperative housing organizations, often originating in the labor movement, had initiated many interesting projects in Belgium. For example, many of the garden neighborhoods from the interwar period, inspired by Ebenezer Howard's garden cities, had a clear emancipatory and utopian character and were progressive in terms of urban planning and architecture. However, by the beginning of the 21st century, many of these cooperative societies had lost much of their original dynamism. Many of them, moreover, had been absorbed into a regional social housing system. Within this rigid framework, it was almost impossible to develop innovative projects, nor was it possible to create new cooperative social housing companies. Those activists who became the initiators of the Brussels CLT, CLTV, explored the possibility of establishing a cooperative society outside the framework of social housing. That was not so easy because this legal form was unsuitable for housing projects in Belgium. During their search for a solution, they read about an international colloquium on new forms of cooperative living in Lyon. There, they heard Professor Yves Caban talk about CLTs and understood that this could be what they were looking for. Soon thereafter, in 2009, some of them had the opportunity to take part in an international study visit to the Champlain Housing Trust, which had just won the UN World Habitat Award. The trip to Burlington lit the spark. The people from Brussels met not only CLT pioneers from Vermont, but also people who were trying to get CLTs off the ground in England and Australia. The Brussels CLT was started with an international environment, therefore, and has continued to nourish that global dimension ever since. CLTB played a major precipitating role in helping the model to spread in Belgium and across the entire European mainland. The success of the CLT in Brussels, along with the examples of the London CLT, the Champlain Housing Trust, and the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative in Boston, inspired the people who are now working in various European cities to establish their own CLTs. A number of key figures from the National CLT Network in the United States actively supported these these European and English developments. They made information available, gave long distance advice, and came to Europe several times to explain the model, talk about its origins, and testify about American CLTs. An important step was taken in 2013. The platform CLT Ghent, CLT Brussels, and the ACW, the Christian Trade Union Movement, organized a two-day conference about CLTs in Belgium and Europe. 
Randa Torpy and Tony Pickett from the United States and Dave Smith from the London CLT came to talk about their experiences, addressing an audience that consisted not only of Belgians, but also of people from across Europe. In 2014, another CLT advocate from the USA, John Davis, paid visits to Flanders, Wallonia, and Brussels, given a dozen talks over a four-day period. Here, too, there were people in attendance from outside the Belgian borders. The American CLT network also invited Europeans to their own conferences to report on their progress. European and global networks and organizations such as World Habitat, Housing Europe, FEANSA, and the Cohabitat Network also played a role in disseminating the model. Interest from the academic world began gradually to increase as well. In 2017, the European Union funded the SHIC project, which helped to consolidate this energy and to lay the foundations for structured cooperation across European borders. Through all of these conferences, presentations, and meetings, it became clear that interest in this innovative model was great. CLTs seemed to be not only a way of tackling the worsening housing problems being experienced by many European cities, but also a way of responding to the economic crisis of 2008. The absence of effective responses and innovative thinking from the public sector convinced many private citizens it was time to develop alternative models themselves. The concept of the commons regained interest as an alternative economic model. Everywhere in European cities, citizens began to experiment with energy cooperatives, local currencies, community gardens, food teams, tool libraries, community-supported agriculture, and cooperative supermarkets, initiatives that were being developed alongside the market. They placed an emphasis on using rather than possessing, on common property rather than individual property. They attempted to deal cautiously with the limited resources that the planet offers us, rather than assuming unbridled growth. They promoted greater solidarity in place of rising inequalities. Although some of these initiatives relied on support from the state, they developed mostly in the spaces between the market and the state, attaching greater importance to civil society and self-government. Many activists and advocates for the commons, in particular, saw in the CLT another way to apply principles of the commons to the production and management of homes and neighborhoods. Within this ferment of activity and experimentation, the rather unusual model of the community land trust was recognized as something compatible with their values and was seized upon by citizens in search of new alternatives. CLT developments in selected countries. Belgium, 
In Belgium, residents in Ghent were the first to show curiosity about the CLT initiative unfolding in Brussels. In April 2010, the community organization Samen Levings Opbo Ghent stirred up interest in the CLT model among a number of partners and organized a train trip to Brussels. There, they visited the housing project Le Spois in Molenbeek and met with initiators of the Brussels CLT, which was still being established. In January 2012, these visitors finished a feasibility study for creating a new CLT in Ghent. A month later, they brought together a steering group composed of civil society organizations and experts who were later joined by future residents. In March 2012, 27 civil society organizations and government officials signed the CLT Ghent Charter. In September of that same year, they presented the results of the feasibility study at a seminar, which included lectures by Dave Smith from the London CLT and Gert Depot from Platform CLT Brussels. In 2013, CLT Ghent and CLT Brussels, together with ACW, published Stopstenen Tussen Coop and Huur, Stepping Stones between Buying and Renting. This brochure has since been used to increase the knowledge about community land trusts in Flanders among everyone involved in the social housing field. Thanks to the CLT initiative in Ghent, political parties started to refer to CLTs in their programs and Flemish experts and academics started to write about the model. After a quick start, however, it took a while before CLT Ghent could put their ideas into practice. In contrast to the Brussels region, the Flemish regional government did not give the CLT in Ghent the financial support it needed to purchase the land for the development of affordable housing. Today, CLT Ghent operates on two tracks. Through the program, Damport Knaptop, the CLT helps owner-occupiers renovate their properties via a rolling fund. Resale of renovated properties is controlled in accordance with the CLT's anti-speculative formula. In 2015, the first 10 renovated homes were completed, and the project is now being continued thanks to funding from the European Union. In the district of Mühlestead, CLT Ghent now wants to develop a housing project with 34 homes, a 1,500 square meter community garden, and a community space. The first plans for this development date back to 2013. As of 2020, construction is being prepared. The city of Ghent, owner of the land, has agreed upon a long-term lease on the land. A social housing company, Wohnen Ghent, 
will build the homes. Currently, partners are in the process of choosing an architect. If everything goes well, the first stone can be laid in 2020, and by 2022, the first residents will move into their new CLT homes. Ghent also took the initiative of establishing the Flemish CLT Coalition, composed of some 15 civil society organizations. This platform continued and extended CLT Ghent's efforts in propagating the model. The platform's efforts have contributed to the exploration of the CLT model in other Flemish cities. In Leuven, a city that has faced rising housing prices in recent last years, the city commission CLT Brussels and the research group Cosmopolis to carry out a feasibility study in 2019 with the intention of setting up a CLT in this university city in 2020. In Bruges, too, local public actors have expressed the wish to start a CLT. In Antwerp, the municipality and civil society organizations are exploring the possibility of redeveloping part of an old hospital site into CLT housing. In other Belgian cities, such as Ostend, Social housing companies are examining the possibility of adopting the model. In 2012, a CLT coalition was set up in the Walloon region, as was previously the case in Brussels and Flanders. This coalition started lobbying for the regional government to make resources available to enable the development of CLTs. In 2014, the Walloon Minister of Housing launched the Construire de Logement pour Tout program. The attentive reader will recognize the resulting acronym, which will give municipal governments and local housing organizations the opportunity to start a CLT. This attracted a great deal of atten attention from municipalities, but when it turned out, that the funding made available by the regional government was going to be insufficient to acquire land, most municipalities lost interest. The Walloon Coalition then tried to develop a pilot project itself. They wanted to convert an empty monastery into a mixed-use project with affordable housing and a social economy project combining food production and a restaurant. They succeeded in persuading the owners to leave them the property if they could prove the feasibility of the project. They are still raising the funds for the needed renovation, so the project is temporarily on hold. At the same time, a number of Walloon municipalities have taken a renewed interest in creating CLTs. For example, the new mayor of Otignes Louvain Lanouve has made it a policy priority, and in Comines, Varneton, the municipal authorities are in the process of facilitating the establishment of CLTs. Others in Belgium have also begun working with CLT ideas, 
co-housing groups see in the legal model the Brussels CLT has invented an alternative to the co-ownership model or the cooperative model, neither of which has fully met their expectations. Instead, by using a public interest foundation as the landowner and by giving long-term leases to the homeowners, co-housing groups can now limit resale prices. They can control who will be the new buyers and they have an organizational model that makes it possible to govern their projects in a democratic way. The Fondue des Petits Marais, for example, in the vicinity of Mont, has adopted features of the CLT model in its operation. Among the many CLTs being started or planned in Belgium, there is some variation in the way they are handling the ownership of real estate and the way they are structuring the membership and governance of the CLT itself. Nevertheless, up to now, CLTs in Belgium have been organized generally along lines that are similar to what is sometimes called the classic CLT in the United States. Thus, the land is owned by one party and the building is owned by another. The CLT has a voting membership that elects a majority of the seats on the governing board. That board is divided into three parts, representing current and future owners, civil society, and local government. The housing that is built on the CLT's land is made permanently affordable via provisions contained in the ground lease. Development of the Organisme des Fonciers Solidaires in France, authored by Audrey Linkenheld. Activists from the academic and nonprofit sectors have been promoting the community land trust model in France for a number of years, leading to the enactment in 2014 of national legislation defining and authorizing the French version of the CLT and creating a new form of long-term ground lease. Local governments, public land organizations, and cooperative social housing organizations are currently taking the lead in implementing a national network, Organisme Défenseur Solidaire, throughout France. The city of Lille has played a pioneering role in laying the foundation for this fledgling and uniquely French CLT movement. Lille is a prime example of a French city that was affordable until the early 2000s, but then experienced increasing pressure on its housing market as a result of high demand from students and from small households who found employment in the metropolitan area. Meanwhile, turnover in the city's social housing slowed down because poorer families were finding it increasingly difficult to move into housing in the open market as a result of the sudden rise in housing prices. In 2008, the city of Lille adopted a comprehensive housing policy aimed at doubling the number of new housing units developed within the city while requiring a set aside of up to 45% of affordable housing, rental or sales, 
in all new residential developments of more than 17 units. This policy supported the development of more than 3,000 affordably priced units sold to households under a specific income threshold defined by the city. The challenge that arose, however, was how to preserve this supply of affordable housing, which had been made possible by a massive financial support from the municipality. The city of Lille had imposed anti-speculative clauses, but they proved insufficient in protecting the affordability of these heavily subsidized homes. This is why, as a member of parliament and inspired by the example of CLTs in the USA and Belgium, I championed national legislation to enable the creation of a new type of nonprofit organization, Organisme des Fonciers Solidaires, OFS, the French version of a CLT. After this legislation was enacted in March 2014, the next step was to create a new type of long-term ground lease, the Bail Réel Solidaire, BRS. This lease, lasting 19 to 99 years, allows land to be permanently owned by an OFS and, because it permits the ownership of land and buildings to be separated, it makes housing more affordable, since households do not have to pay for the underlying land. Clauses in the BRS also impose a limit on future prices when homes are resold. This safeguards for generations to come the public subsidies that were used to buy the land and to reduce the purchase price of the housing. The first OFS was born in Lille in February 2017. 15 permanently affordable homes using the BRS lease have already been built and successfully marketed. They're part of a mixed income, mixed use project in an attractive neighborhood in the city center that will include 210 housing units, open market and social, a hotel, offices for nonprofits and an art gallery. The buyers of these 15 homes on leased land benefited from a very affordable price of 2,110 euros per square meter instead of 5,300 euros per square meter, which is what they would have had to pay without the OFS. A second OFS project with 17 units offered for sale at the same price Will soon be developed in the same area. Many other cities, including Rennes, Nantes, and Paris, have begun creating OFSs of their own. Meanwhile, the French Federation of Social Housing Cooperatives has encouraged the formation of OFSs by local cooperatives in places as diverse as Saint Malo, the Basque Country, and regions of Provence, Alpes, Côte d'Azur, and Rhône-Alpes. Public land-owning organizations, établissements publics fonciers locaux, are also exploring the creation of OFSs in Haute-Savoie, 
in the Basque country, in Franche Comte, and in the overseas territories of French Guiana and La Region. To date, 19 OFSs have been established, plans to produce 1,000 permanently affordable owner-occupied homes within the next two to three years. In 2018, following a proposal put forward by Lil, they joined together to form a new national network of OFSs, Foncier Solidaire, France. Netherlands. Major Dutch cities such as Rotterdam and Amsterdam have been confronted with housing problems similar to those in other European cities. In Amsterdam, for example, the average sales price for housing quadrupled between 1995 and 2017. The pressure on the housing market also increased as nonprofit housing corporations became less able to address the problems of pricing and supply. The Netherlands is a country with a large stock of social housing that is rented out to people with low and modest incomes. These homes have been mainly developed and managed by large housing corporations. The position of the housing corporations has been weakened, however, by decreasing governmental support, mismanagement, and scandals at some of the housing corporations, and increasing pressure from the European Commission to reduce state aid, regarded as a cause of market distortion. The housing corporations have been building less affordable housing than in the past, and many of the corporations' homes have been sold to private investors on the market. Despite the Netherlands' well-deserved reputation as a country, with a large stock of social housing. The waiting time for social housing in some urban neighborhoods is now more than 10 years. It is no coincidence, therefore, that the first two initiatives to consider applying the community land trust model in the Netherlands have had a link with social housing corporations. In Rotterdam, the urban activists of Stadt in the Muck, city in the making, have concluded an agreement with the Havenstädter Corporation to refurbish vacant buildings and to use them temporarily for three to ten years. These buildings are managed partly as commons. The rooms are rented mainly to young people. On the ground floor, there is room for all kinds of social and productive activities such as a neighborhood canteen, a micro-cinema, a laundrette, and a woodcraft workshop. City in the Making is now reflecting on ways of getting these buildings, as well as others, off the market for good. In order to achieve this, they are exploring different strategies. They're involved in Free Co-op, the Dutch version of the German Mietshäuser Syndicate, model of rental housing cooperatives. This association pursues very similar goals as a community land trust, although the approach is somewhat different. Free Co-op guarantees the continued affordability of solidarity housing projects, 
spread across the Netherlands by taking shares in the projects. In parallel, members of City in the Making are also examining possibilities for the CLT model to serve as a supplement or replacement for the leasehold, F-Pacht model that is widely used in the Netherlands. In Amsterdam, two companies active in the social innovation sector and the people and Publica Vesnellers jointly took the initiative in 2018 to explore the potential of the CLT model through design thinking. As a part of their analysis, these companies looked for a suitable neighborhood to carry out action research. They ended up in the Bilmer, a huge modernist social high-rise district constructed in the 1960s and 1970s in Amsterdam Southeast. They soon made contact with the Maranatha community, a religious community mainly from the African diaspora, which organizes community building and emancipatory activities in this neighborhood. In August 2018, these stakeholders organized a three-day design workshop in the Bilmer, where representatives from the Housing Corporation, the City of Amsterdam, local residents, interested social investors, and all sorts of experts came together to think about the concept of possibly creating a CLT. They then organized a series of workshops in the neighborhood. In December, a busload of Amsterdamers made the journey to Brussels to take part in a peer-to-peer exchange in the context of the European Schick project. They have now set up a steering group and have begun making contact with policymakers and interested investors. Their intention is to create dwellings and community infrastructure in the Bilmer through new construction or the renovation of existing buildings within the general framework of a CLT. Germany. In Germany, the Trias Foundation and the Switzerland-based Aided Marian Foundation have been using long-term lease contracts to ensure the permanent affordability of community-led housing, productive spaces, and community facilities for decades. Both organizations own a few hundred parcels of land on which local communities have developed all kinds of projects, including ex Print in Berlin, a formal industrial site, which is now providing spaces for artists and other makers in the service of Arbeit Kunst Soziales, or <clears throat> work, art and community. The Trias Foundation and the Edith Marian Foundation share the same philosophy as CLTs with regard the long-term stewardship of land. They are not themselves CLTs, however. Their service areas cover all of Germany in the case of the Trias Foundation and both Germany and Switzerland in the case of the Marian Foundation. Residents who occupy the permanently affordable housing and non-residential buildings on lands that are leased from these foundations are not represented on the governing board of either foundation. The first real CLT initiative in Germany is currently emerging in Berlin. 
Inspired by CLT success stories in the USA and by more recent examples of successful CLTs in Brussels and London, an informal CLT planning group was organized at the end of 2017 in the Berlin district of Friedrichshain-Kreuzberg. Housing experts, community activists, researchers, project developers, and representatives of local government have a meeting together. This CLT initiative is a response to a mounting crisis caused by exploding land values, soaring rents, and diminishing access to housing. Supported by the district's counselor for planning and building, who provided funding for an initial feasibility study, the CLT initiative is building on decades of activism and community-led development in the district's neighborhoods. Strong activist traditions include squatting and many forms of self-help, self-organized and cooperative housing, as well as collective and nonprofit practices for coordinating everything from small-scale industry to community gardening. The current plan is to create a new local and democratic organization in 2020 based on the CLT model. The organization's goal is to make a significant contribution to Berlin's housing movement by promoting private, non-speculative forms of common ownership and project development as a complement to existing models of cooperative housing. Initial projects are likely to involve rescuing older buildings in partnership with their current residents. The land beneath these buildings be permanently removed from the market and managed by the new CLT-inspired organization. A housing cooperative would assume ownership of the buildings and management of combinations of residential and commercial spaces, the long-term lease for the underlying land. Provisions in the ground lease would define future uses of the land and buildings, as well as the ongoing relationship between the owner of the land, that is, the CLT organization, and owners of the buildings. Financing and subsidies are expected to be forthcoming from public sources, as well as from private institutions and individuals. Future projects may include the provision of social spaces, commercial spaces, and community gardens, as well as the construction of new buildings. Italy. The CLT model was introduced to Italy by Homers, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to developing community-led affordable housing. After meeting people from CLTs in Belgium and England, Homers convened a roundtable discussion of the CLT concept in Turin in 2014, to which CLT practitioners from other countries were invited. The meeting just happened to coincide with the occupation of the old royal stables, Cavalerizia Reale, a huge vacant historic space in Turin's city center. CLT advocates met with the occupiers of Cavalerizia and discussed the possibility of applying the CLT concept to redevelopment of the royal stables. Although that particular project was never realized, the discussions around it did eventually lead 
some interest in the model from the Chiari municipality near Turin. Starting in 2010, Chiari had joined with a few other Italian cities to develop commons regulations, a regulatory framework outlining how local governments, citizens, and the local community can manage public and private spaces and assets together. Chieri became the first municipality to integrate the CLT model into its commons regulations as one option for common management. The city of Palermo later did the same. The idea in both cities was that the municipality would transfer empty buildings or underused plots of land to a community land trust. In Chieri, homeowners negotiated with the city government for the acquisition of two sites, Tabasso and Casina Madalena. Detailed legal and financial plans for the redevelopment of these derelict sites as community land trusts were made. But in the end, the municipality wasn't ready to collaborate, mainly because city officials worried whether the separation of land and buildings and the restrictions on resale prices were legal, despite being reassured by a registered notary that they were. Despite this setback in Chieri, which may be temporary, Homers began working to develop another CLT project on a plot of church-owned land in Turin. This project will produce 42 family flats and two shared flats of supportive serviced housing for families with a physically or mentally handicapped member. The complex will include community spaces, a public garden, a daycare center, a solidarity restaurant, a shop for local food produced by social co-ops and healthcare facilities. Switzerland. Switzerland has a strong tradition of cooperative housing. At the beginning of the 20th century, a number of cooperatives were set up to produce affordable housing for the working class. In the 1990s, this movement gained new dynamism. In the wake of a squatters movement, new community-led cooperatives emerged, especially in cities such as Zurich, Lausanne, and Geneva. Thanks to the support of the respective urban authorities, these cooperatives have been able to expand considerably in recent years and have started to develop ever larger and more ambitious projects. In Geneva, town planning rules determine the type of housing that can be built. Some building sites are reserved for cooperatives, but only rental housing can be built there because in Switzerland, the classic housing cooperative is a tenant cooperative. The cooperative is the owner or leaseholder of the land and building. Members rent their housing units from the cooperative. Until recently, cooperatives have developed and managed only rental housing, so any land that became available for the construction of owner-occupied housing was de facto reserved for private for-profit developers. CODA, C-O-D-H-A, a large housing cooperative in Geneva, decided in 2018 to expand its activities to include 
owner-occupied homes developed through long-term lease contracts on land owned by a cooperative. Homes that will remain permanently affordable through resale mechanisms. As in all its other projects, the residents will participate in the development and management of the homes. In this way, CODA wants to respond to the wish of some members to become homeowners. By doing so, CODA can also expand its activities beyond the areas that the city has reserved for tenant cooperatives. The first homes in Switzerland that are being owned and operated in the manner of a CLT are being created under the auspices of a cooperative housing association that was founded in 1994, one which has long shared the same commitment to community-led development of permanently affordable housing that is found among CLTs in other countries. From now on, for part of its activities, the CODA will use the CLT ownership model, the Propriété Sans Lucrative Nonprofit Homeownership Housing. As they christened this branch of their work, will start its first developments in 2020. Spain and Portugal. The CLT model has gained a growing audience among scholars and NGOs in both Portugal and Spain. Although no CLTs yet exist in the Iberian Peninsula, the CLT model has been presented and discussed over the last few years in a number of venues and contexts. Thanks mainly to the tireless efforts of Yves Caban and Antonio Manuel Rodriguez Ramos, it has attracted particular interest among neighborhoods with semi-formal or informal land regimes such as Cova da Mora and the metropolitan area of Lisbon. The grassroots platform Morar and Lisboa to live in Lisbon has shown an interest in the CLT model as a possible strategy for addressing the negative impact of extensive touristification on the people living in downtown Lisbon. There was also growing interest in the CLT model in Cañada Real, an informal settlement in Madrid where no titling solution has yet been found. A major development of late has been the effort to remove legal hurdles to establishing a CLT in Spain. This initiative was carried out with students from the Laboratorio Juridico Sobre Desajuchidos Legal Lab on Evictions as a follow-up to the first session of the International Tribunal on Forced Evictions, organized by Rodriguez Ramos and Caban. A new legal framework for CLTs was developed by a group of trained legal professionals and has now been presented to the Andalusian Assembly. Some municipal governments have recently taken note of the CLT as well. The city of Barcelona has undertaken a partnership with New York City under the International Urban Cooperation Program of the European Union to work on affordable housing, with a particular focus on CLTs. Barcelona has also witnessed the development of Laborda, a housing cooperative that, 
while not being a CLT per se, shares many of its principles, including the separate ownership of the land and buildings, community involvement, and the inclusion of anti-speculative mechanisms designed to keep the housing permanently affordable. The first housing project of the border was inaugurated in 2018 with 28 apartments. Central and Eastern Europe. The situation in Central and Eastern Europe is unique compared to the rest of Europe. In the last 30 years, ever since the fall of the Berlin Wall, housing policy in these states has gone through a series of major changes. Policy was characterized by rapid privatization of state-owned housing after 1989. The real estate market then went through intensive growth between 2000 and 2008, followed by the collapse or stagnation of housing prices after the global financial crisis in 2008. Today, housing has left almost entirely to the market. Many households have neither the necessary capital to acquire an apartment nor to qualify for a mortgage. Households struggle to cover basic housing expenses. Many people are unable to afford their own apartment. Particularly for young people, this leads to an unhealthy dependence on older generations, increasing the pressures that cause many to leave the country. Also, the communist heritage gave community housing, cooperatives, and state housing, which were the standard forms of tenure in these countries for ages, a bad reputation. Nevertheless, across the region, new cooperative housing developments are now being explored by pioneering groups. They're responding to the housing emergency, unaffordability, speculation, a negligible amount of social housing by taking the lead in reinventing types and tenures of housing from the bottom up. The MOBA Housing Network is playing a leading role in fostering this reinvention. It gathers together grassroots practitioners who are working on housing initiatives in Zagreb, Budapest, Belgrad, Prague, and Ljubljana, looking for ways to build affordably priced community-led housing. Today, all of these groups are looking into different organizational forms and financing possibilities. Cooperative housing has received the most attention to date, but in 2018, MOBA organized a meeting in Croatia to explore whether the CLT model might also have a place in addressing the housing problems of Central and Eastern Europe. Scotland. Scotland has the most concentrated pattern of land ownership in the developed world. Over 80% of Scotland is in private ownership and half of that private land is in the hands of fewer than 500 owners. The community land movement has been one response to this unequal distribution of ownership. In the 1990s, communities in the highlands of Scotland were experiencing depopulation and decline, partly as a result of an inability to influence the way that the land where they lived was managed and developed. In response, several communities raised funds to purchase land and to shape their futures 
by ensuring their land was managed and developed in ways that provided collective community benefits through enhanced security of housing tenure, improved employment prospects, and sustainable land management. These early community landowners were able to turn around years of depopulation and decline through an ambitious approach to regeneration. They inspired others and provided a template for the subsequent purchase and development of land by communities, both rural and urban, over the following decades. Now, around 230,000 hectares of Scotland are in community ownership. Democratically elected community trusts own the land on behalf of the communities that live there and are accountable to them for the management and development of the land. Communities have developed a huge range of assets and services on their land, including renewables projects, affordable housing, business units, harbors and pontoons, and tourist facilities. The Scottish Government established the Scottish Land Fund in 2001 to support the purchase of land by communities, and in 2003, Parliament established preemptive legal rights for communities to buy private land and buildings in certain circumstances. In 2015, legislation provided a framework for the transfer of public assets to community organizations as well. In 2016, the powers afforded to rural communities became applicable to urban Scotland. To exercise these rights to buy, communities need to have an appropriate governance structure, usually a company limited by guarantee, and must have demonstrated support for community ownership via a local ballot. The process of land reform is ongoing. In 2020, further legislation will be introduced to help communities buy land in pursuance of sustainable development. Community Land Scotland is the national network for community landowners and communities that are in the process of acquiring land. Historically, most community landowners were in rural areas, but Community Land Scotland is now also supporting growing network of urban community landowners. One significant example of an endeavor to apply all facets of Scottish community ownership to an urban setting is the Mid-Steeple Quarter Project in Dumfries. This project intends to bring about mixed-use regeneration via a process of community ownership, incrementally acquiring all properties within an urban quarter and redeveloping them according to a master plan for community facilities, business space, and housing. The community organization behind this project was born out of many years of engagement, seeking to address the modern role of a market town within the context of town center decline and absentee ownership. The group has acquired its first property within the quarter and is taking its first steps toward delivery. Ireland. House prices in Ireland have risen enormously in recent years. Cities like Dublin have become unaffordable for many. Unlike in the UK, however, and despite the work over the past decade, 
a people such as Emer or Siochru, and groups like the Community Land Trust Initiative. Community land trusts have yet to become firmly established in Ireland. In 2010, the Manifesto for Rural Development was published by the Carnegie UK Trust in association with a number of Irish actors, proposing the CLT as a vehicle for sustainable rural regeneration. Inspired by this publication, the Irish Regenerative Land Trust is currently developing a rural CLT. The founding of the Land Development Agency, LDA, in 2018 was intended to streamline the provision of state and private land for affordable housing. The LDA and a number of local authorities have declared their intention of developing policies to enable CLTs. Limerick City, for example, is actively seeking to enable inner city regeneration using the community land trust model. There was limited understanding of the model in Ireland, however, and there has been neither recognition nor sanction by risk averse state bodies. Private and religious institutions may offer a realistic alternative to the state as possible sources of land for CLTs. It is anticipated that Ireland will see the introduction of pilot CLTs in the main urban areas in the near future and possibly in rural areas as well. A European collaboration to advance CLTs, Sustainable Housing for Inclusive and Cohesive Cities, SHICC, SHIC. The leaders of the first urban CLTs in Europe and England turned to the European Union in search of financial resources for strengthening their fledgling movement. The European Union is not allowed to legislate with regard to housing, but social innovation is an increasingly popular policy area. Representatives of the London CLT and CLT Brussels, who had met in 2012, during a conference of the National CLT Network in the USA, partnered that year to apply for funding under an EU project call on innovation. They were not successful, but after two later attempts, the European Union finally approved their proposal for collaboration among urban CLTs in Belgium, England, and France. This project was given the name of Sustainable Housing for Inclusive and Cohesive Cities, SHIC. CLT Brussels took the initiative of forming the partnership, bringing together the leaders of various organizations who had met in recent years at conferences in the United States or in Europe. Since its onset in 2017, the SHIC project has been able to achieve significant progress in four respects. First, it has played a major role as a catalyst of the European CLT movement, increasing its support base through meetings and events. The project's partners organized a major policy conference in May 2018 in Lille with speakers from a number of different countries and organizations. Around 150 participants from across Europe 
discuss topics such as financing CLTs, how the CLT model can work for the most deprived, and how CLTs can promote resident involvement. A second major conference took place in London in May 2019. The final conference occurred in Brussels in June 2020, coinciding with the book launch for On Common Ground and the CLT Symposium open to the general public. Second, Schick has provided resources to allow partners to inspire and to support other groups across the region of Northwest Europe. Partners have been traveling across the region, participating in reflections, presenting the CLT model, and coaching budding urban CLTs. In addition, a number of peer-to-peer -peer exchanges have allowed established CLTs and recently formed groups to share their experiences and to learn from each other. Finally, the expansion of the National CLT Network of England and Wales Startup Fund to serve the entire region is ongoing at the time of writing, with the first vouchers for technical expertise being handed out. Third, Schick has made new resources available for existing and future urban CLT projects. On the financial side, the first cross-regional analysis has been completed in urban CLT's finance. This analysis provides information to interested groups on sources of funding for CLT development in France, England, Wales, Brussels, and Flanders, as well as possible funding at the European level. A measurement tool is currently being developed to evaluate the social impact of CLTs. This will be part of a broader set of tools that will help CLTs make their case to decision makers. Finally, the SHIC project will eventually produce a set of guides on how to set up a CLT, including a specific emphasis on managing the financial aspects of both the organization and its projects. Last but not least, the SHIC project has provided resources for pioneering urban CLTs in London, Lille, Brussels, and Ghent to further consolidate their models, to document their progress, and to share their experience with the wider European CLT community. Papers will be delivered by the end of the project on various topics, including community engagement, business planning, structuring deals with private and public funding, arrangements for the legal structure and governance of CLTs, and strategies for the scaling up of CLT operations. The SHIC project may prove to have represented a watershed mo moment for the European CLT movement. By the project's end, it is anticipated that CLTs will have proven their value on dealing with the affordable housing crisis in Europe and will have become a true alternative for housing provision. Patterns and Prospects for CLT Development in Europe CLTs in Europe are structured and applied in many different ways and come in all shapes and sizes. Some are linked to a particular neighborhood, 
while others cover an entire city, managing housing projects scattered across many areas. Some comprise only a few housing units, while others are part of larger housing developments and include dozens of units. CLTs also differ in their organization and operation, depending on whether they are initiated by municipal governments, communities, or local nonprofits, and depending on whether the national legislation authorizing them is more or less detailed in what a CLT is required to be. Despite their differences, they all share a commitment to making permanently affordable housing a reality. This is why the notion of stewardship, be it through legal mechanisms or shared democratic governance, is central to the concept of a CLT. In addition, the inclusion of anti-speculative mechanisms is a key element of all CLTs, regardless of the resale formula that is used to calculate resale prices. In the context of the Schick project, the working definition of a CLT was put forward. Schick's leaders believed this definition to encompass the majority of the region's urban CLTs. CLTs are nonprofit, democratic, community-led organizations. They develop and manage homes that are affordable to low and median income households, as well as other assets that contribute to thriving local communities. They act as long-term stewards of these assets, ensuring they remain permanently affordable. This is achieved through mechanisms that ensure that any additional value generated is retained within the CLT. Despite differences in terms of community involvement, ranging from the bottom-up approach of many English CLTs to the more top-down approach of the local authority-led French OFS model, all partners of the SHIC project have subscribed to this definition. It provides a common understanding and a common ground for all CLT initiatives in Europe. Prospects for growth and potential obstacles. Over the past 10 years, the CLT has gained significant recognition in mainland Europe. Almost no one had heard of the model in 2008, but the CLT is now generally regarded as an attractive and effective strategy for tackling housing and urban problems. The increasing acceptance of the CLT's approach to land stewardship and permanent affordability is primarily due to a worsening housing crisis across many countries. Living in many European cities is becoming more and more expensive. More and more people are no longer finding suitable and affordable housing. The construction of new social housing is in decline. Rising prices in market-priced housing make any subsidies available from government inadequate for low-income tenants who are trying to get into rental housing. The same is true for moderate-income households hoping to gain access to conventional forms of home ownership. This mounting crisis in affordable housing is happening alongside problems of unsustainable urban growth, urban sprawl, and climate change. 
forcing governments to consider new policies and strategies for housing, land use, and urban development. At the same time, in recent years, there has been a widespread movement of citizens' initiatives favoring a sharing economy and the commons. There is widespread agreement on the need for new models. All of this provided a fertile breeding ground for the new idea of European community land trusts. By focusing strongly on cooperation and cross-border exchanges from the start, the initiators of the first CLTs used this momentum to raise the CLT's profile. Individuals in political circles, in the academic world, and in civil society, as well as activists in many citizens' groups, got to know CLTs and started to see them as an interesting solution. But setting up a community land trust is not the same as setting up a community garden. It requires a lot of money, a lot of expertise in various fields, and many adjustments to ensure that a CLT complies with the country's laws governing the ownership, leasing, and operation of real estate. For citizen activists who undertake a CLT initiative, it usually requires that they dare to take a cautious step towards cooperation with the government. Conversely, municipal governments who undertake a CLT initiative must dare to give more power to private citizens. The flexibility of the model and the enthusiasm and perseverance of the first initiators ensured that the first hurdles to establishing a CLT and to developing CLT housing could be overcome. Hundreds of CLT homes spread over a dozen cities are currently in the process of being developed, mainly in England, Belgium, and France. In other cities and in almost all European countries, groups are either exploring the formation of a CLT or already in the process of creating one. Despite this great activity and attention, the CLT movement on the European mainland is still in its infancy. It remains an early and vulnerable phenomenon. The number of homes developed to date are a drop in the ocean compared to the magnitude of the housing problem in many cities and countries. This movement will only be able to have a weighty and lasting impact if it becomes easier to set up CLTs and to develop permanently affordable homes. If every new organization and every new project is a marathon, impeded by countless hurdles, exhaustion will quickly set in. Further growth will only be possible if European cooperation is continued and strengthened. Interesting building blocks are being developed in different cities, regions, and countries which others will be able to use. For example, the success of CLT supporters in France, where the national government was persuaded to enact legislation authorizing Organisme de Fonciers Solidaire, the French version of a CLT, and to create a new type of long-term ground lease can inspire CLT activists in other countries. The fruitful cooperation that has developed in Brussels between the Citizens' Initiative and the government 
can serve as another example for citizens and cities that want to launch a CLT. The mortgage loans provided by the Brussels Housing Fund, moreover, can increase the confidence of lenders. Scholarly research, model contracts, and case studies of CLTs that are already in operation can be used to inform and to inspire new CLTs. The current European SHIC project has created a framework for lasting cross-national cooperation, which may help CLTs to gain access to more funding from the European Union, making it easier for CLTs to implement their projects. It is too soon to say whether this young movement will succeed in playing a substantial role in addressing the housing crisis in European cities. But the foundation has been laid and a significant start has been made. In mainland Europe, the prospects look good for further growth and greater impact by CLTs in the coming years. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays, authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.org. Thank you for listening.